Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato. We're coming to you from East Main Media Studios in beautiful Little Falls, New Jersey. This is a radio show podcast. It's also on video as well. And I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Mary Gamba. Ready for another Lesson in Leadership special? I am ready. This is fun. I cannot get sick of this. We could do like 10 more today. It'll be great. Don't get crazy. So, uh, Mary, why don't we just talk about how folks can find us? Yeah, absolutely. On Twitter and Facebook, they can follow us, Steve Adubato, PhD, and that's A-D-U-B-A-T-O, as well as on Twitter at Steve Adubato. And if you're listening and you want to hear our other podcasts, you can do so by subscribing at Apple Podcast and Google Play. And you could also give us a good rating if you like what you hear. And also, on our website, stand-deliver.com. We have a ton of valuable resources, articles, information. So and they definitely... also can get past books, particularly Lessons in Leadership. Yep. The newest book that's a few years old, and should we tell people we're working on another book, or are you yeah. trying to... Uh, no, not I'm think all about in. That. I'm all are, in. I'm really you? excited. Yeah, I know I resisted. I yeah, I know, and, and Jim is I'll here, and he's laughing. I'll Jim in a second. But you resist. Every time I say I want to have a new book idea, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, God, not And again. I did. I did that first, and you then did. I said, it's time. It's time. Innovate yeah. or die. Don't we say that? Yeah, definitely. And by the way, also, you can check us out on the, the AM970 app, and if you're watching us on video, you know mm-hmm. where you're watching us right now. It is our pleasure and honor to introduce another great leader. That's what Lessons in Leadership is all about, is introducing you to people who teach us about leadership. He is Jim Ferguson. He's Director of Communications at Atlantic Health. Good to see you, Jim. Good to see you, Steve, Mary. Yeah, this is great you. to be right in between the both of you here I today. know. It's a good place to be. And the other thing that's fascinating is that we've had a longstanding relationship with Atlantic Health. Did you guys go by Atlantic Health System or Atlantic Health? It is Atlantic Health System. So we are a trusted network of caring, but yes, so system is absolutely a part of our and name. And clarify the system comprised of... So we have seven beautiful hospitals and over 400 sites of care through our Atlantic Medical Group, our physician multi-practice. So we serve about half the state of New Jersey, Steve. 4.9 million people, 11 counties, and growing. And your colleague, Valerie, joined us not too long ago, right? Yes. She was yes. great. Valerie Simon was mm-hmm. terrific. She was fantastic. And, and we actually told her about what we were doing, and she recommended that you come on and join us. And so one of the things I want to jump on right away is, in your mind, your background in marketing, communications, Have you ever had to coach or give feedback to someone who outranked you in the organization, otherwise known as a CEO or someone at that level? Have you ever had to give candid feedback like that? Absolutely. And I've never, ever had it go sideways on me, to be quite honest. Never. Oh, you're the one? Steve never has it go sideways either. It always works out just great. No, not always. I I coach a lot of CEOs, and they're like, what are we paying you for? I said, to tell you what I think. That's right. The honest mirror, right? So, yeah. Not on day one, Steve, but once I have a relationship with leaders in my organization in multiple different places, I've been able to give that honest feedback because I've built that trust and I've shown that I can be reliable in that space. So they look for me for my counsel in terms of marketing communications. Go back to the issue of trust. The connection Mm -hmm. between trust and leadership is? Everything, in a word. It is. I believe that a leader, people must follow. And if Folks don't trust you. If they don't see your vision, if they can't understand where you're going, they're not going to follow you. And trust is paramount in that. I'm fascinated by this. Mary and I talk a lot, again, in our coaching and training and and the writing that we do, articles, books, et cetera. The word message is important. I'll be working with someone or we'll listen to someone. I'll often wonder, as someone's talking, what is his or her message? I know they're talking. I know words are coming out of his or her mouth. But I actually don't know what the message is. And I've stopped in a coaching session and said, tell me what your message is. And I'll say, my what? 
No, no, your main message. Like, what's the message? And they'll say, oh, I have so much information, but I've never thought about my message. To me, the message is, that is the vision, right? It's what are you trying to get people to do or believe? And I happen to work at an organization right now, Atlantic Health System, where we have a leader that is, that is what he does. He stays on message. Brian and he Granulati. Brian Granulati. Brian's message is one that you can grab onto and run with. And to me, that is what a great leader is. It's something I can get behind, I can understand, and then I can understand my role within that. So when we start thinking about how do we provide access to affordable health care, yeah, that's pretty lofty, but it's something we can all get behind. And then Brian starts showing us how we're going to get there, then we can get on board and everybody can do their part. But what happens if the leader is communicating, there's a whole bunch of things we need to do. What's your message? There's a whole bunch of things we need to do. Like, the, what's the message? And you say everything has worked out fine when you've given feedback. I, I Respectfully, I find it hard to believe that you haven't had to say the message isn't clear to me. Oh, for sure. Oh, you have had to do On that. On a specific message. Whether uh, yeah. Brian or anyone else. Yeah, that we're, not, that we're not hitting the mark. Yes. That we're making noise, that we're not cutting through. We're um, not having impact. Mary and I talk about the difference between... Activity and impact. There's a lot of activity right. and noise, yeah. but what's the impact? Go ahead. Yeah, so I work with the internal communications team as well as our outward-facing public relations team. So if we can't get a message to resonate internally first, and that's what we do, we do an inside-out sort of strategy in terms of our messaging. What does that mean? So nothing goes to the community until our internal 17,000 team members have heard about it. So we do internal messaging before we do external. Never do I want someone who works for Atlantic Health System to hear about an initiative, something that we're involved with, by reading it in the newspaper or hearing it at the grocery store. So we internalize first. So our message gets tested and we hear, hey, I'm not getting this, or this isn't clear to me, or what are we trying to do here? So we can clean up as we go. And then when it goes out to the community, we know we're hitting it. You know, as I'm listening to you, I just realized, Mary, that's potentially 17,000 additional folks who would be watching and or listening to Lessons in Leadership, because Jim just said he is going mm -hmm. to send to all of those. <laughs> I heard that as well. That's <laughs> Did funny. You hear yeah, that? I heard that. Yes. That is the plan, isn't it? That is the plan. Exactly. So everyone knew exactly. about Valerie's appearance before she was ever on. That's right, Valerie Simon, when she came on. And that was before we even went to the video side, right. thanks yeah. to the folks at East Main Media. So let me, let me try this on you. Sure. The term leader, and again, Mary to me is a quintessential leader. She doesn't need a title. You see the sign in front. I just put that in front of her. Mm -hmm. She makes things happen. Oh, yeah. She gets other people to get things done. But she also does it in a way that is collegial and supportive. And I've learned a lot from that. I'm still working on it. You do not have to be the leader CEO. Go ahead. You're shaking your head. Because no, you're absolutely right. And actually, that's... So I actually have some notes in front of me. Oh, I'm sorry, you actually brought notes into the show? I did. I brought a couple notes. <laughs> he tried to so steal I my notes, too. I have he her like notes. I was thinking about no, stealing no, your I notes. I took no. my notes back. Listen, it's just go, go no, for we'll it. Go, but go. this whole idea of, and someone who I worked with early on in my career called it being a servant leader. And a it servant was, leader. So sort of you're showing, you're bringing the passion, you're doing the work, you're in there. And if you're doing it, I can do it too. And I've always sort of, my style has always been collaborative. It's always been one of... I come at things with a great deal of passion or I don't come at them at all. But if, if I'm believing in something and I'm committed, I bring everybody else along on that journey because I'm in it and I share that. And that passion and that commitment is what resonates. And to me, that doesn't matter if you are the CEO of the company, a leader of a department. We have a guy at Overlook Medical Center. His name is Danny. He's the greeter as you walk through the door. 
this gentleman will change your life when you walk through the door. He has got the warmest personality. He makes you feel at ease the minute you walk through the door. He gets you where you need to be. He takes what he does extremely seriously, but the warmth and his genuine just love for what he does just resonates. You know, by the way, you're listening to Jim Ferguson, Director of Communications at Atlantic Health System, Steve Arabato, Mary Gamba. This is uh, Lessons in Leadership. Don't take this the wrong way, Jim. Hmm. You strike me as if you're a really nice guy. <laughs> I've been accused. Okay, so here's the thing. So if you actually read Lessons in Leadership, you'll find that I talk a lot about my experience growing up and how it shaped my view of leadership. And my father, who's been very sick for a long time and can't communicate the way he used to, which is terrible in one way and good in another, because he could <laughs> say the meanest things and toughest things. He also accomplished a lot of great things. You should Google him, check him out. But why do I mention this? I remember being five years old. And I said something like, there was one of the kids in the neighborhood's father who I really liked. I'm not going to say his name because I know my friend might be listening to us. And I said, you know, so-and-so, Michael's father's a really nice guy. And my father, I'm five years old. And he said to me, never trust a nice guy. And I said, <laughs> I'm five. I go, well, what does that mean? I thought you were going to say I was going to finish last. Yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, well, my no. father had his own. We grew up in a very tough ethnic, which is otherwise known as Italian, neighborhood in Newark, New Jersey. And my father was old school. Your dad was just recognized for being uh, one of the- One of the top Italian top Americans, Italian Americans in, the state, in yeah, the state. by mm-hmm. that by Insider and Jay. But, but here's what he said to me. I said, dad, what do you mean? I was like five and I remember, he, he said it to me a hundred times after that. What do you mean? He goes, listen, nice guys don't get things done. Nice guys are just nice guys that want everybody to like them. And he goes, when I die, he goes, on my tombstone, here's what I want. Steve Adubato Sr. He was not a nice guy. And, oh, gosh. And so, again, there was more to it because on some levels he was a nice guy. He is a nice guy. There's a point to this. Do you ever say to yourself, I'm being too nice in order to get something done and I need to come down with the hammer? I think accountability is a big deal. The way I am and my personality type and the way I align folks to what I'm trying to get done has never been by bringing the hammer. It has always been by clear directives, accountability. If you don't join me, we're going to talk about that. That doesn't mean I'm not a nice guy. But But there's no hammer? It's a soft hammer. (laughs) Accountability by the word, I guess, is a hammer on some level. But no hard hammer. In your leadership portfolio, in your leadership toolkit, as I like to say, Mm -hmm. Jim Ferguson saying, I don't need that hammer coming down really hard. I don't use a hard hammer. See, there's a reason why Jim and I are sitting next to each other, because (laughs) Steve and I have had this disagreement for 19 years. Mary Gamble is a very nice person as well. I'm a very nice person. But as I always say, I don't need to be, and we have an expression in my house, you don't need to be crazy to be productive. And I'm not calling you crazy, but you don't need to. I'll take that as a compliment. Go ahead. Exactly. You don't need to always raise your voice, use specific words or language, or throw down the hammer to get your point across. And that's where Steve and I respectfully disagree sometimes. Not often, mm-hmm. in terms of delivering a message, or if we have a, an what employee. What about performance issues? Performance issues, same exact thing. I, it's I can the exact get same thing. It is. I can oh, get it, it as much, if not more, accomplished. There's an expression: you get more bees with honey than you do with, with I don't the know, hard hammer. something else. Okay. A hard hammer, because <laughs> you're going to squash I mean, those bees. I've had to deliver tough performance reviews. I've had yeah. to tell folks that they're not where I need them, or the company needs them to mm-hmm. be. And I've ended those meetings with a thank you and a hug. 
And we heard um, that actually today. Absolutely. One of our other guests, I oh, was one sitting, of our guests yeah, said, one of our guests literally said, he goes, the best meetings are when I literally go in and I, for no better terms, criticize or tell somebody where they went wrong. And I think at it was the Kevin the, Cummings from it Investors. It was, yeah, thank you for reminding me. And at the end of the meeting, they say thank you for that feedback. And you've had that, Jim? Absolutely. I, uh, but again, go back to, go back to where we started. Go back yeah, to where we started, which we, we started with trust. And to me, you build that trusting relationship with the folks that work on your team, as well as trusting the leaders above you. But the folks that are on your team, if they trust you, and they know that I'm here to help you, and I'm not trying to play a game with no, you. No, you're not. You're on my team. You're here for a reason. And mm. when things need to be fixed, we're going to fix them. But I don't want folks on my team to ever think that I'm trying to get them or I'm trying to play some game. I'm well, very about, straightforward. Sorry for my interruption. What about when you're frustrated and you're genuinely angry? You have a conversation. And I'm, hey, I'm almost what 100% you, Irish. What you, I got I an Irish there, temper. Hold on, that, hold on one second. Where did you grow up and who did you grow up around to be this stable and normal and healthy? If we went into my childhood, <laughs> I'd be a mystery to you. No, seriously. Nothing that happened in my childhood would lead me to the spot that I am in now in terms of my personality type really? or anything else. Uh -uh. I, see, I'm convinced because we do a lot of coaching, yeah. leadership and communication coaching. Inevitably, when I see someone who isn't assertive, they don't speak out enough and their performance review says the same thing again and again. And I'll say, tell me what it was like when you were a kid. Inevitably, it's like, well... Uh, in our house, we didn't really speak up. We didn't express our feelings and, and, and all kinds of variations yeah, yeah. of this. And it has a great influence. I'm not saying it's the predictor, but it's a, it influences greatly. And it has for me, even though I've tried to evolve, because our family was aggressive and tough and in your face and argumentative and not good listeners and confrontational, need I go on? And that's what I came from. To say that's totally not me, how the heck did you get like this? I went the other way. Go ahead. I mean, honestly, I went the other By way. Wait, get rid of your notes because you're not going to need yeah, them. Yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't looked at my notes since we got started here. But uh, I went the other way. To me, I found, and I'm, I'm kind of a spiritual guy, and I'm not even going to go down that road too much. But, but it um, is a part of who you it are, is so go ahead. a huge part of who I am and what my family's all about. I believe in, in treating people a certain way. Now, to your earlier point, that doesn't mean I'm not assertive when I need to be, that I'm not very clear about what I need to have happen, and when it doesn't happen, that there aren't conversations around it. But that doesn't ever mean that I have to either be loud, disrespectful, or anything along those lines. And it has served me very, very well. As a matter of fact, Valerie Simon, who, who has been on this program, has me in my position because she is a very different sort of a manager than I am. And Valerie is probably more akin to what you're like and has driven me in the best way possible to get higher and better results because of her style. Mm. It's just not my Sorry, style. Sorry, uh, Valerie's a lot better than I am, but I just wanted to clarify <laughs> what you said. She's like me. But I'm going to ask you this one. We only have a couple minutes left. I ask people two questions very often, and, and by the way, check out our website because you'll find this when I ask people, what's the number one leadership lesson you've learned? And I also ask them, what's the number one leadership challenge you have ever faced? Greatest leadership lesson so far has been, because you're still learning? It has been to, and it, it only happened with age and time, is letting go, not be a micromanager. Let people do what you've hired them to do. And that, to me, is one of the hardest things because I may be nice, but I'm a control freak as well. I'm sorry. That's why you're sitting next to Mary. Go exactly. Ahead. I'm telling you. you <laughs> oh, were, really? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. She's totally. got it, too. Yeah, it's it, part it, of the reason why she's so good, too. If I want too. something done right, I want to do it myself. That's correct. Because no one else, and I like to control it and mm -hmm. know that the end product but is going to be... But there's a but in this. There's a huge but, but I'll continue. Yeah. But over time, I realized you have to empower the folks 
that work for you. You've made good choices, hopefully along the way, and brought a team around you that can do this work. But they you will make mistakes. Sorry for interrupting. But they will make mistakes. Of course and, they will. And that is part of the delegating coaching process? Correct, which had to be learned and had to be learned a little later for me because I was such a control freak. But at this point in time, I couldn't be more blessed or happy wow. with the team that I'm surrounded with. All right, flip it. Number one leadership challenge you face? Time. Working in the communications field, PR, it's ever present. So challenge is getting myself and my team to a position where they can have some ability to unplug, to recharge. There's a lot asked of us, and I ask a lot of my team, and trying to find that balance for them and for myself is a challenge. Home life, Correct. home work, if balance stuff. such a thing. We, you know. know what? Mm -hmm. We don't use it anymore. I we know. Don't. No, it isn't a thing. Yeah. We call yeah. it work life. I've said to Mary that, again, it was a client who said to me this one time. I asked her about her work. She was a working mom with two kids, top-level professional, trying to become partner at a major firm. And I said, talk to me about your work-life balance. And she laughed. She goes, what balance? She goes, I'm not looking for balance. You mean 60, 40, 30, 70? What do you mean? She goes, I like to call it work-life integration. And I've heard that term. And we, we use that term to a certain extent. I believe it because it's true. But at the same time, I'm still looking for ways to, because you have to disconnect, you have to unplug, you have to recharge. It's the only way, A, you can be strategic, you can move to the next level, otherwise you're stuck. And so that is a quest. Who do you have at home? So I've got a beautiful wife of 26 years and three kids. Wow. Ages? Uh, so I was senior in Not high your school. Wife, by the way, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. 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 Please, you didn't Sounds have to tell personal. me that one. Um, my, my son is a senior in high school, and I have twin girls that are freshmen. Wow, twin so girls. We're, so wow. we're busy. Mary, and by the way, Mary has two teenage boys. Well, and that we had shared yeah, we that because I have that. a senior and I have a freshman. So we're in that same mode of college searching and all of that other Before great I stuff. Before I let you go, how funny is it when some of us or all of us tried to teach leadership lessons to our teenage kids? How hysterical is that? It is. Um, like, all you can hope is that down the road, and I'm really hoping for this, down the road, they'll come back and they'll say, now I get it. I saw what you did. I saw what yeah. you showed me. Well, sometimes that works. So I'm going to give you one. You ready? Go. Uh, Chris, our son, who is wonderful and 15, I'm just hoping the kids don't watch or listen. So my wife said to me, I need to talk to you about our son, Chris. And I said, what now? I, she said there was an accident. I go, is he all right? She goes, yeah, he's all right. But he was playing football up at his high school in the parking lot. And I said, he was playing football. Yeah, they was throwing the football around in the parking lot. And his knee hit a car. And what's wrong with his knee? No, his knee's fine, but he dented the car. He dented the car. Yeah, the point of the story is he realized immediately, because my son plays football up at Seton Hall Prep, he dented the car of the captain of the football team, who was a senior. He's a sophomore. I said, tell me his name, and I'm not going to say his name. He told me his name. I said, Chris, he's six foot five, 275 pounds. He's the captain of the team. And he goes, Dad, I think he's going to kill me. I said, he may or may not, son, but you're going to go seek him out. You're going to find him, and you're going to tell him. He goes, Dad, really? I said, yeah, leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you got to tell us how'd how it go. <laughs> okay. I mean, you want to know how it went? I know. I know. Our I listeners want to know. This, okay, you ready? Chris, what happened today? I saw Tony. Yeah, what happened? He got out of his car and he just looked at me and he was coming toward me. I said, and, and you said to him, I did, and he, and he just looked at me and I said, Tony, yeah, it was me. And he said, yes, I know, because he saw the surveillance video. Oh. I said, Chris, did Tony confront you or did you tell Tony first? He goes, 
we said it about the same time. I said, son, both of you did not speak it. We're having this conversation. This is last night. This sounds like every conversation oh, exactly. with my child. Yeah. And my wife's looking at me and he goes, why are you doing this, dad? And I said, Chris, what's the book called? Extreme Ownership? It's somewhere mm -hmm. here, Mary. Yeah, I um, I said, own it, Chris. He goes, what, own much. what? I said, own the fact that you were screwing around, playing in the parking lot. You either hit the kids. Was it your knee or the ball? No, it was my knee. Luckily, you're okay. You dented his car. He goes, dad, and he loves that car. I said, you have to own it. That's a tough one for a 15, 16, 27, it's 47. It's tough for anybody. Go ahead. I know I'm sorry for that long-winded story. Go ahead. No. Can it's, you relate? Oh, 100%. <laughs> My son is on the basketball team, and he had to have a tough conversation with the coach. And Mary's got hockey players, but go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah and it was, it was the same. It was, did you talk to coach? Did you go into, well, I, I'm hoping I'm going to see him in the hall. I'm going to, you know, I'm going <laughs> to, you know, you got to go talk to him. got to have this conversation. Oh, you're the same. And then finally, I think he got called into the coach's oh. office because it was like a lingering sort of thing. And, and they ended up having a great conversation and actually ended up in a really good place. But I was like, you didn't make that first move. Wow. That's tough. So hard for them to learn to That's initiate tough. those tough conversations, for sure. But is that not, again, we often talk about the show being called Lessons mm -hmm. in Leadership. It is Lessons in it Life. Is. That's mm -hmm. not just a leadership lesson. That is own it. I always say go first. What do you mean go first? They may not find out. Go first. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, listen, I'm sorry. Jim, I want to apologize. Jim Ferguson, who's Director of Communications at Atlantic Health System, I want to apologize for you not using any of your notes. Oh, and no. I can't you thank you enough. Of, did you have a bunch of talking points? I had some. <laughs> I had some. And we just veered in case, off. In case, for some reason, I looked into your eyes and went completely blank. But, uh, not going to happen. But this has been fantastic. But that's also because Mary Books, she's not only the co-host, she's a great executive producer of the series, who books... Nothing but fabulous leaders. So, Jim, I want to thank you for joining us. My pleasure. The Lessons in Leadership show will be right back with Mary Gamba and her co-host, Steve Adubato, right after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Adubato. I'm here with uh, my colleague, Mary Gamba. Your biggest takeaway from Jim Ferguson? Be a nice person. Right? Jim, yeah, I know. He seems, well, not that he seems, he is a really nice person. And just the overall leadership style of you can be kind, you can be thoughtful of others, but you could still get your point across mm. and be effective. You know, by the way, log on to our website at stand-deliver.com. Why? Not just because... You can get our articles on a whole range of communication, leadership, and management issues. But we're creating a leadership library, a lessons in leadership library. And one of the books that, again, Mary and I, we talk about this all the time. And sorry we sound like a broken record. But Mary and I started talking about this book first. Don't sweat mm -hmm. the small stuff. Chapter three. Let go of the idea that gentle, relaxed people can't be super achievers. Now, did you actually remember that that chapter was in here? You probably no. did. I'm going to oh, tell you exactly okay. what I did. I was thinking that there was something about what Jim Ferguson said that triggered this whole nice mm -hmm. person thing, because I think about this a lot. I am absolutely convinced that people's, the way they have grown up, influences, does not dictate, but influences their style as a leader, as a manager, as a communicator, as a person. Yeah. But hearing Jim talk about this and saying he's gone the opposite way, again, I have grown up, and I'm not going to perseverate on this. I've always grown up with the idea that nice people, not only that they finish last, it's way past that, it's that they can't be effective as leaders. The problem is, I think what my father meant when he said that to me was that weak people couldn't be good leaders. 
and he correlated nice with mm-hmm. weak. And I knew that Carlson had written about this. By the way, Richard Carlson died way too young. I believe he wasn't even 50 years old yeah. when he passed. But I will tell you, his book and his series of books, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, it's not about leadership per se, but it's about life and it has leadership lessons in it. But that one, I knew there was one in there mm-hmm. about being a nice person. He said, yeah. stop thinking that you can't be successful and be a great leader if you're not compassionate and gentle. Right, exactly. And the thing that I like about Richard Carlson's whole series of books is it's all in little sound bites. You don't have to pick up and read an entire book to get the point. You can go to the chapter that resonates for you at any specific time. Going back to Jim Ferguson, and it was funny because you had said you think that your childhood brought you to be the leader and communicator that you are today. And in his case, it still I said it did. Influenced. influenced. And in his case, it still did because it could either make you say, wow, I really admire that in my parents or whoever it is that your caregivers, and I want to be like them, or I want to not be like them. And it sounds like in his situation that he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to try just to try something different. And it caused him to go the other way. So it really or does. Both. And or I'll both. tell you what mm-hmm. I mean by that. And again, I've said this before, but it's the first time on the video side of Lessons in Leadership. You're listening to us on the radio, AM 970, or or the podcast, or a whole range of digital platforms you can find us on, or now on the broadcast side, Mm -hmm. on the TV side. But the reason I'm mentioning this is that my father would often say to me, and, and he believed this, is that you're as successful as you are to whatever degree that is. Because I was so tough on you, no one else could be that tough on you. And I said, what does that have to do with success? And he said, well, because you don't quit. It takes more to knock you down. I go, but you're claiming credit for that? And he goes, yeah, because nobody could be tougher on you than I was. It's that old school. You ever see the great Santini? You're too young, too. I hate when people say that I you're know, too I know, I'm sorry. Brian, you're too young as well. The great yes, Santini? I'm way too young to have seen that. You are? Oh, it's a movie? <laughs> Robert Duvall? <laughs> no, it's a great movie. It's yeah. a great movie. Robert Duvall is, I believe, a former military guy, Navy fighter pilot. I'm not sure. He was so tough on his son, so aggressive, unrelenting. And he kept convincing himself that I'm going to make my son tough and strong. And what he did is he broke the kid and they destroyed their relationship. But what I'm trying to say is my father's argument, and it's not just my father. There's millions of people out there watching right now, know exactly, listening right now, know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a toughness that we want in our kids, a grit. Mm -hmm. if you will, um, persistence, if you will, and not quitting. You know, when you fall down, get back up, never, never, never give up, right, from Winston Churchill. But that's not the same as being so rough that you break people down. And that's the part I've still tried to figure out. It's hard for all of us to figure out. It's one of those situations where if you're raising your children, if you're trying to lead a team in the workplace, you need to find that balance between getting your point across. But I don't think that it always has to be with the iron fist and going in there. And I do think that there can be a balance. What's so interesting, by the way, one of the other chapters in, I'm not going to continue to promote Richard Carlson, but it's just so it's powerful. It's okay if we do. It's a There's great, a great book. chapter. Chapter 13 is Become More Patient. And the reason I like that oh. one is that I've struggled with it. And, I, and again, when I say I've struggled or I thought about this, I believe it also means mm-hmm. lots of other people out there as well. The balance between being patient and having a sense of urgency. Because there was a sense of urgency to get this program on the air in video form in this studio, first class operation, Brian and his team, they made it happen. Be patient, Steve. It'll all work out. No, wait a minute. We have a sense of urgency. We have a deadline. We're taping on a certain date. Got to have it right. Got to tweak it. So balance between patience and a sense of urgency 
When the word urgent in and of panic, itself, by the way. while a lot of times those two go hand in hand, if it's an urgent, is it urgent? Is it, you know, oh, I've fallen and I, you know, I hurt myself. Is it urgent? Like, I really need you. Is it right now? Is it urgent? Often that has a negative connotation to it. So I do agree. And I think there's a book somewhere here, Sense of Urgency. But yes, yeah, so I believe that having a sense of urgency, because that will help you to get to the finish line. But if that sense of urgency is that you're scrambling all over the place and you're lighting a million fires in different places, you're not going to be successful in the end. So but, but stay on this that out. with kids, mm-hmm. teenage kids, others. We've talked about this. Yeah. We'll often say to our kids, you have homework. Yep. Tell me when you're going to do it. I'm going to get to it. Now, listen, you have a test tomorrow. And you start pressing your kids about what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, mm-hmm. how they're going to confirm that they did it. And they don't like any of it, <clears throat> excuse me, because they're going to get to it when they get to it. I don't want to have patience with that, Mary. I'm sorry, because I don't believe that's a great quality. I think, in again, this could be in the workforce or with your families, you need to let them fail. You need to Whoa. let them you and I have agreed to even when you see it coming. Disagree. Yes, let it happen. Whether that means, and I we've had this story before on the air that you know I gave them three strikes, literally in like fourth or fifth grade, that I will bring that binder, I will bring their little project that they forgot to bring to school. By the third strike, I mean your boys, my boys, you yeah. would bring it in. I would bring it in because they forgot it. After that, sorry, don't even bother calling because I'm not going to bring it in. And I'll tell you what happened: either they remembered, or if they forgot, they got a poor grade, and then that they remember a lot more than me being there to bail them out. And it goes with homework as well. There has never been a day in the last, you could ask my kids in the last five, six, seven years that I said, oh, is your homework done? You don't. It's not my problem. It is their grade to earn or it is their grade to lose. And until they realize the repercussions of not doing their homework, and this is in the workforce, you can't hover over your children and you can't hover over your employees. You need to let trust. Let them fail. You have to let them fail. By the way, we're turning this into lessons in parenthood. Yes. Why don't you come over and parent our kids? I will. I'm joking. I will. Jen, my wife, I'm No, joking. my kids aren't perfect, but. No, if- I know, but, but you're tougher. Yeah. You're tougher and they, it's ironic because mm-hmm. you and I talk about this in terms of the workplace. Mm-hmm. You're tough in both cases, but style is style. You make it clear that there are consequences. Yeah. But if the consequences, yeah, and if the consequence is me being angry at them because they're not doing their homework when I believe that they should do it, they don't really care what I think. They really don't. They really don't. They don't. I mean, it's it's just okay. But if the consequence is, oh, they're not getting a good grade, and then they do compare with their friends, or then it comes time for them to apply to college, then that's when it's going to hurt them. How does that relate to being a leader in the workplace? In the workplace, same exact thing. If I have a colleague who's not pulling his or her weight and then they miss a deadline or if they don't, you know, then they're not going to get that increase come raise time. And we're going to explain to them why. Well, we said that you were going to get this or that. So it will come back, whether it's with perks, whether it's, oh, you know, take that extra time that you need or just financially or otherwise. And just the old attaboy at the end of the day, like you did a good job. And people like to hear that. It's interesting. The question or the correlation between leadership and creating a sense of urgency, not panic. My belief is you have to set clear deadlines. People have to agree on those deadlines because without those deadlines, I'll get to it. You can't succeed in that way, not in the world that's moving so quickly around us. That's my view. And sometimes that can be taken and pushed too far because everything is a sense of urgency with some of us. And Mary will say, hold on, is it really? Can we pull back on that? And that's why leadership is also about knowing who you have on your team and who is better at certain things than you are. And that's what makes a team. And that's why we're here. That's why we're great. 
This has been Lessons in Leadership. I'm Steve Arabato. That has been Mary Gamba. And finally, let people know, other than listening to us on AM 970 or the app on AM 970, mm-hmm. where else can they find Absolutely. us? They can find us online at stand-deliver.com, and they can follow all the great things that we're up to on Facebook, and that's at Steve Arabato, Ph.D., and that's A-D-U-B-A-T-O. And that Ph.D. did not come through the mail, I want to make mm, clear. Oh, that's good to know. Wait, yeah. I just want to clarify. Okay, it came good. from Rutgers. A lot of hard work. The State University of New Jersey. They may not have a great football team. They had a great communications program. Steve Adubato, Mary Gamble, Lessons in Leadership. Check you out next time. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Hi, I'm Joel Bloom, president of New Jersey Institute of Technology. At NGIT, we believe that not only our students, but all citizens need to be informed about the issues facing higher education. As New Jersey Science and Technology University, NGIT is proud to support the important programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation and their partners in public television. Funding for this edition of State of Affairs with Steve Adubato has been provided by Holy Name Medical Center. This place is different. New Jersey Resources. NJIT, New Jersey Institute of Technology. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. The New Jersey Education Association. International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825. And by Community Food Bank of New Jersey. Promotional support provided by Insider NJ and by NJ Advance Media. This is State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We're coming to you from beautiful Newark, New Jersey, NJTV Studios. Camilla Valdez is prosecutor in Passaic County. Born and raised where? Born in the Bronx, raised in Newark. See, that? I always like to say you're from Newark. I'm from Newark, but I was born in the Bronx. Just checking. Okay. Um, I gotta tell you, you and I have had so many conversations mm-hmm. off air, on air, yes. about a whole range of issues. Right before we got in the air, I said gun violence, gang violence in your uh, county and also in the state. Are they the same thing? Well, no, not if you look at the numbers. If you look at our numbers, our homicide numbers tend to stay within 20 to 22 or so a year. Our shootings, however, which to me is a greater indicator of the violence problem, are always higher. And that's really the number that we look at. Because if you have a victim that survived, it could be that St. Joe's did the awesome job that it always does. We're talking about St. Joseph's uh, healthcare, um, St. Joe's Hospital in um, Patterson. Let me ask you this. People connect Passaic County. That's Patterson. It's more than that. It's more than that. It's Wayne. It's Clifton. It's our suburban areas. It's our rural areas. It's Passaic City. It's Passaic City, um, such a diverse county, so many things going on, cities, suburbs, rural areas. We, we see it all. It's interesting. People use the word prosecutor. Um, they don't know exactly what it means. Mm-hmm. To your friends and family, how do you describe the job? I talk to them about it in the context of service, public service, because prosecutors, good prosecutors, are not just looking to put people in jail. They're looking to remedy problems. They're looking to serve. They're looking to be receptive and responsive to what's happening with communities. So prosecutors are a jack of all trades. We're trying mm-hmm. to keep people safe. That's the bottom line. You know, um, it's interesting. You've got an interest. I love your sense of humor. 
particularly yeah. when you're dealing with such issues, yes. challenging issues. Um, you talked about how you came into this job. Mm -hmm. You know, I saw a piece of video. I don't know, maybe you were mm -hmm. speaking somewhere and mm -hmm. you sent me some. Maybe I caught it somewhere <laughs> on social media. I don't know how I saw it. Uh -huh. But you were talking to some folks about how you came into this job. Describe the circumstances around that, why that's so interesting. So it's interesting because I was minding my business at the U.S. Attorney's Office and the opportunity to become Passaic County Prosecutor arose. And I never thought it would happen because at the time I was uh, an assistant U.S. Attorney hired by U.S. Attorney Christie and the appointing governor at the time was Governor Corzine. So, and I, I'm an independent. So I wasn't really sure that the politics were gonna line up. But a wise Latina mentor of mine said to me, these jobs don't come for us, so you should at least try. Because at the time, there had never been a Latina county prosecutor in the state of New Jersey. Never. Never. So in 2009, I said, well, if I don't get it, I still have a job that I absolutely love. And if I do get it, it'll be another opportunity to serve. And so now, 10 years later, here I am. You know, um with a mutual friend, Micheline Davis. You and I have um, been involved in a lot of conversations. One of them, I remember, was on um, women in leadership, mm -hmm. particularly women of color. Yes. What particular responsibility do you feel um, being the first in this role, particularly for others who may be coming up right now yes. and maybe and simply don't see the possibilities? You say what? I say do the work. <clears throat> I say do the work and be very good at the work. And if it's challenging work, look at it as an opportunity to really show the world what you can do. Uh, I have experienced racism here and there during my career. Somebody finds out I'm Dominican, suddenly they're asking me about some Dominican baseball player. I'm like, it's a big country. We don't really all know each other. <laughs> yeah, but, right. But gender bias is something that I experience almost daily, if not weekly, because it's almost as if I can be forgiven for, for being Hispanic, but not forgiven for being a woman and a woman in charge. What does it look like? What it looks like is initially distraction. Initially, it's like, is she smart enough to do this job? Is, does she have the right temperament to do this job? That's what it looks like initially. But when we really get down to brass tacks, we get it done. You're hardcore in that way. Mm. And you know, part of your upbringing here in the city of Newark yes. has... Um, help mold you into who you are and what you are as a leader? How so? Well, I am, and I say, you know, I'm a little bit of boogie down because I was born in the Bronx, but I was raised in Newark, Roberta Clemente Elementary School, Barringer High School, which, by the way, just opened a beautiful Law and Public Safety That's Academy. Right. Were you there? Uh, you, you, I was you, absolutely I heard about there. That. I was absolutely Everybody's there. Everybody's talking about in the neighborhood. We're from the same neighborhood, I can say that. Go ahead. I was absolutely there. And so I spoke to those students, and I speak to myself to say, you know, I am from Newark, I was poor, I was Dominican. The expectations for me were maybe finish high school, maybe start working. And so everything that I've gone on to do, that I've been fortunate enough to do, is really just gravy. For the most important people in my life, which were my parents, I was a success when I graduated from Barringer High School. So my career has really been a series of, well, let me see what else I can do, and let me see what else I can do. So when you deal with issues connected to the opioid crisis, yes. how much of that connects you back to where you come from and who you come from as well. Well, I love the fact that we have pivoted in terms of how we deal with addiction. Because I mean, it's everybody's issue. This is just some urban every, minority thing. It's everybody's issue, and we are looking at addicts with compassion and with empathy 
versus long prison sentences. We're, we're at the age where Policy we remember... Policy mistake for a long time? Policy mistake for a long time and not really assessing the damage that it was doing, the damage that it does when people that are nonviolent go away to jail. What does that do to communities? What does that do to families? We are now have pivoted in that direction. And so for me, it is very important to be able to talk about policy decisions and what the impact is. And, and how do you study whether what you're doing is effective? Now everything is a study, as it should be. We should not be launching into wholesale policy decisions without really thinking about the outcome on people of color, poor people, women, the LGBTQ community, um, the undocumented, immigrant communities. What is the impact? And I, I am so fortunate and blessed to be able to sit at tables now with, where we're discussing policy issues. With your voice being heard. With my voice being heard. For those who say, Prosecutor Valdez, that just let's be tough with them. Mm -hmm. Let's just be tough. Like, that's, mm -hmm. a, that's the policy. Yes. You say? Well, there's, there's, a, there's a time and place for everything. And I think that if they don't do what they are supposed to do, and follow along with the care and the treatment that's being extended, there will be a time to be tough with them. And there's, but there is that initial, let's see how we can help this person. Let's see mm -hmm. how we can offer treatment that was not available to them before. Real quick, for let you add here, um, President Trump and the issue of law and order. We haven't seen it in Passaic County. You don't see it. I don't see it because... The ICE stuff, the immigration stuff? You, you I, I have not seen it. Really? And we had a wonderful immigrant integration day recently in the city of Passaic. What was it like? It was fantastic because there were so many government agencies that were there, so many people explaining to immigrants what their rights are, what, what are the systems. Most immigrants come here, most, come here wanting to provide for their children, wanting to work, wanting to drive, wanting to be productive members of society. Sure, there are outliers that are committing heinous crimes and they should be held accountable for their crimes. But by and large, that's not what we're seeing. We have mm -hmm. not seen the ICE raids in Passaic County. I'm not saying that they haven't occurred. They haven't happened in Passaic County. Prosecutor Norman, thank you for joining us. Thank you, you for having North me. proud, Barringer High School proud. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. I'm Steve Adubato. We're in Newark, Brick City. Yes. Back after this. To watch more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. This is uh, Kevin Corbett, President and CEO of New Jersey Transit. Good to see you. Thank you, Steve. Um, let's do this. The job, how would you describe it? How many people commute every day, by the way? Uh, we have about 950,000 on a weekday, yeah. Trains? Trains buses. and buses, about two th roughly two-thirds bus, one-third train. You don't need this. Listen, you could watch NJTV News every night and other great broadcasts around, even though none are that good, um, and find out what's going on um, on a regular basis. Top two issues you face at New Jersey Transit are? Top, top two is for, certainly personnel, qualified personnel operations for operations. You don't have enough engineers? That's right. How did that happen? Um, it was, you know, people were saying, oh, did you lose them to other railroads? And there was a little bit of that, but it mainly was we stopped training engineers. So as they retired, we didn't bat, we weren't training the next generation of back. Because? Uh, you know, I don't... Can we call that bad planning? <laughs> Seriously, because you know they're going to retire. Yeah, I, there were people in the organization who knew, the head of our rail ops, those people, they knew and they would request, and the request for uh, training programs and uh, training classes was rejected for budget reasons or other reasons. So the personnel's one. But when it comes to the late trains delayed trains, right? Or the trains doesn't come at all. 
how does that happen? Is that an infrastructure A combination. Thing? The number one cause of, of canceled trains is, is engineers, lack of engineers. But then you get into the next thing down is, is mechanical issues, either on the, uh, particularly we're talking about rail. I mean, buses, we move, sure. you know, is another issue. But people judge us a lot by the rail. And there it's the mechanical, either the signal system, catenary problems, which in the Northeast Corridor is Amtrak, actually, we, we run on. What's the deal with Amtrak? Amtrak, uh, they've been any one of uh, anybody's in our field. Over a 20-year period, you have periods where you get some funding and then you're starved, you get these cycles. So Amtrak went through a rough period, and rather than going at war with each other, uh, the last year really spent a lot of time focusing on where can we pull our resources, work together, and we've made a very a lot of progress with Amtrak last year. But they they've got a long, they have a, you know that's a hundred-year-old uh, system mm -hmm. they're operating. You know, it's interesting. You talk to commuters, and by the way, we want to make sure in the future we have one of the commuter advocates here talking about these issues as well. How frustrating is it for you to see how frustrating it is for commuters every day? What is, I'm a commuter every day. I've been commuting on, you know, on the M&E for 20 plus years. What's the M&E? Uh, Morris and Essex, uh, okay. from, from coming in from Morristown. And I've seen where the system started going downhill, and you could you feel it. I think a lot of the frustration is even over this year, our, our metrics have become significantly better. Long way to go, but we're. What really, does that mean, the metrics? You know, our on-time performance or canceled trains are down. You know, we're uh, October this last month was uh, we're down 41 cancellations were 41 percent than last year. Mm. So uh, you know, our on-time performance is up uh, three percent, up to almost 92 percent on time, far from where we want to be. The uh, rail industry, I would say, is 95% on-time performance to where you want to be, uh, if not higher. But um, the accumulated frustration of a lot of riders, it's, you, you know, there's a, the tree falls on a catenary or there's a suicide or something. As a commuter, you, you realize once in a while these things happen. You sort of, you know, driving it has its downfalls, too. So, but it's a cumulative effect year after year, and you're tired of being, you know, BS. You know, when are we really going to see some results? Where's yeah. the light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing? By the way, if you're listening on the audio side, Kevin Corbett is the president and CEO of New Jersey Transit. Let me ask you this. We, we've done a lot of programming on the American Dream Project, that little initiative out on Route 3, right, in the middle <laughs> A lot of the discussion beyond where they are, where they're not, what, when it's opening, what's opening, et cetera. Is the discussion around the role of New Jersey Transit in moving people in and out of American Dream, where are we with that and where are we not? Yeah, I think uh, where we are certainly, number one priority for us is taking care of our regular uh, you know, commuters. So our basic service, we have to do that right. But when we look at the economic uh, potential and how do we help the state's economy, it's not transportation for transportation's sake, that gets into how do we make sure that MetLife Stadium is successful and then how do we help American Dream be successful? Yeah, but okay, so... Um, and we're part of the American dream solution, but not all of it. They have a comprehensive transportation. <sighs> what, after the, the Super Bowl, right? We had that situation with yeah. the Super Bowl, the, yeah. the tons of people right. that are waiting, waiting, waiting. How much does that adversely, negatively impact the, quote, reputation and brand of New Jersey Transit when a very public crisis like that happens? Well, I, I think there, there's no, no doubt it hurts, it hurts the brand, and it does, it's not good for the state's reputation either. You want to host events, you want to be successful. Uh, that was years ago, and there was a whole batch of, you know, uh, post-mortem on that that was, predates me. But the one thing we did when we had a problem with one, uh, one of our uh, uh, programs early uh, last summer, you know, with one, with one concert or one event, uh, we worked with MetLife. People say, okay, what do we need to do to make sure that that doesn't happen again? How do we get it right? Part of it is scheduling trains, just like Airline pilots, right. train pilots, uh, train engineers, uh, time out. 
So we had to make sure that we adjusted the schedule to make sure we had the back end covered for trains, and we more heavily invested in bus upfront so that we could really uh, ramp up uh, better. And uh, since then, is we've had a great experience with MetLife. A couple of things I'm curious about: state funding for New Jersey Transit. We actually had uh, Senator Patrick Dignan. Dignan is the uh, chair of the Senate Transportation Committee, as we speak. There's also a select Senate committee, legislative committee, looking at New Jersey Transit that. The Senate President, Steve Sweeney, will in fact be chairing. But I'm curious, in that interview with Senator Dignan, who chairs the Transportation Committee, he was very critical of the Christie administration in terms of state dollars dedicated to New Jersey transit or not. And he said well, much of the problem is because of a lack of funding over those eight years. Do you buy that argument? Uh, yeah, who to blame is one thing, but there's no doubt that there was over 500 million, half a billion dollars a year in capital funding that was taken away to cover operating expenses. Explain that to folks, capital versus operational funding. So instead of buying rail cars, like if you're, if you're riding a 40-year-old rail car, that the type of the bouncy seats, those were meant to be replaced, you know, five, ten years ago. That's capital. So that $500 million that would have bought new rail cars and new buses was taken away to cover our operating expenses, you know, paying salaries, et cetera. What happens when that happens? Well, just think of, you know, think of Havana with those old American cars, you know, that are from the 1960s and you're trying to keep them running. Uh, that's a, we have 50-year-old train engines, 40-year-old rail cars. So the breakdowns are more frequent, all those mm -hmm. kind of problems. So uh, that really, there's no doubt that one funding more, was critical. Sorry for interrupting you. Sure. Um, President Corbett, I'm curious about this. What the heck is the problem? I'm a, I'm a student of communication. Why it happens, why it doesn't happen, why the message sent doesn't equal message received. Here's the question. Why is it so difficult to communicate to commuters if the train's not coming, when the train's not coming or coming? What the pro What's the problem with communication? Well, you you know, can't blame it, that on Christie. No, and uh, the, the two things. One is communication. If you look at, like an airline pilot, if you're having a problem on the train, your focus is on you know, making sure you fly the plane, not communicating. And what happens on the operational level, they're going to the, you know, on the rail side mainly. Sure. You're going back to the center saying, hey, our, our trains What about the people waiting? Well, that's, that's the issue. By FRA rules, conductors are not allowed to have cell phones. It's a violation of safety rules. So the people on the trains nowadays, can they, can they get more information on the cell phone than the conductors have. So we've Shouldn't been taking... we adjust those regulations based on the way people communicate today, based on social media? I, I, th I think you can do it safely, and we're working with the FRA and the FRA uh, is the Federal Railway Administration right. in Washington. But if you look at uh, Amtrak, for example, they have, you get your ticket, they scan it. But those devices also get communication from headquarters that say this is what's going on ahead of you, so they can, can we do communicate that? that. Yes, we are. We're in the process of doing that. Come back six months from now. Well, we'll give be us seeing, an update. Yeah, we'll do. This has been Kevin Corbett, President and CEO of New Jersey Transit. We thank you for coming in and answering these and other tough questions. You've been out there on a regular basis, and we wish you, but more importantly, frankly, the folks who rely on New Jersey Transit, all the best. Thank you very much. Steve. Thank you. Stay there. I'm Steve Adubato. We'll be right back. To watch more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. We're pleased to be joined by Mike Duhame, Republican strategist and partner at Mercury. Good to see you, Mike. Hi, Steve. How are you? Good. A lot of stuff to talk about. We're taping on the 12th of November. Um, big picture first. We have no idea how this inquiry, this impeachment inquiry, is going to play out. What do you think the biggest challenge facing the president and his White House is right now? I think regardless of the 
outcome of the impeachment if there's a vote and if it goes to the Senate. I think this is, it looks bad in terms of the politics of this. It looks like he tried to gain some sort of political advantage through what happened there. So regardless with of Ukraine. the outcome, with and Ukraine, sorry, with Ukraine and, and the investigation into the Biden family, even if it's not impeachable, it obviously is dominating the headlines. It looks like it was not done necessarily uh, for the country's best interest. And he's certainly not talking about the economy or tax cuts or anything else that might be positive for his campaign. So it's just dominating the news in a way that never lets the president get out any type of positive message. Mike, you've managed presidential campaigns um, for Republicans. You've uh, very close to Governor Christie. Very um, important advisor. How tough is it for Republicans these days with Trump as the president in terms of if they do disagree or have something they want to say, whether they say it privately, publicly, or not at all? It's very difficult because the president is very popular with the base of the Republican Party, still 80, 90 percent extreme popularity with the base of the party, but at least in New Jersey and many other states in the Northeast, Northeast unpopular with independent voters. So it's very difficult to straddle that line. We saw that last week in the legislative elections in New Jersey. For the first time, really, since Trump became president, the Republicans were able to separate themselves a little bit and have some success, folks like John Bramnick and others, uh, in the mm -hmm. suburbs being able to distinguish themselves a bit from the national party. It's interesting. And we're, by the way, if you're listening on the audio side or our podcast, podcast this is Mike Duhame, longtime Republican strategist, uh, managed statewide national campaigns, and, and the head of Mercury, uh, one of the top agencies in the state. Question about John Bramnick. Yeah. Uh, he's coming in today. Bramnick is the leader of the Republican Party in the Assembly. Moderate, independent thinker. He's been on this set, Mike, mm -hmm. been critical of the president. Yeah. But he's also very critical of Governor Murphy. In his race, which is a, I don't want to get in, in the weeds, our great, great friend Michael Aaron will help break down those, uh, those campaigns a lot better than we do. Independent, moderate Republican in a district like that, Union County, a couple other counties. What does that represent for New Jersey and the nation in terms of the kind of Republican he is? Well, I think it's a good thing for, for him and for Republicans who aren't afraid to be independent-minded, aren't afraid to be centrist. That is a district that Hillary Clinton won by 10 points. Bob Menendez won. Malinowski won it last year for Congress. Tom Governor, Murphy, right. Governor Murphy won it. So that's a district that's been trending Democrat. Has about 10,000 more Democrats and Republicans. So now. how did Bramnick win? Bramnick was, uh, Republicans stuck with Bramnick because he had a very strong fiscal message, very much took on Governor Murphy, Governor Murphy talking about high taxes and, and John Bramnick being the leader in the assembly, pushing back on high taxes, understanding this is a tax-sensitive state. And he also, uh, he also wasn't somebody who just disagreed with the president all the time. He was somebody who, when he thought the president was right, for example, on North Korea, uh, he said he thought the president was right. If he thought the president was wrong on something like gun control, he was able to say, I think the president's wrong. So. Voters in New Jersey, especially in an, in an off-year election, understand the difference between federal mm -hmm. elections and state elections and are willing to listen to the candidates. And he was able to distinguish himself. And obviously, for the most part, independents voted for him and Republicans in large part voted for him. He even got challenged from the right, and the candidates from the right got less than a percentage point of the vote. Yeah. Uh, Governor Phil Murphy at the midpoint of his four-year term. Grade him. Uh, I would say probably incomplete still at this point. I think he's someone What's who he done well? Well, what's he done? Well, he's, he's obviously pushing New Jersey toward a more progressive agenda, which is what he wanted to do. What he's done well is I think he's tapped into national Democrat issues in a way that's helped him stay popular. Um, but he's been unable to work with the legislature. So even though Why he... Why do you think? Well, it's a personal animosity, I think, between himself and, and the Senate president. Hold, and hold, leadership. On, hold on, yeah. Mike. You believe beyond policy matters, beyond the fact that the governor wants to increase taxes on millionaires, and right now Senate President Steve Sweeney says it's not the right time. 
uh, beyond the fact that they have very different views on how to deal with public employee unions and the pension crisis in the state. You think it's personal on some level? I think at some level. I think you outlined correctly that there's an ideological difference. There definitely Go is. The governor is quite far to the left, and Steve Sweeney and Craig Coughlin have much more centrist caucuses. Yep. But beyond that, there is no trust level between the leadership. And you saw in the past Governor Christie and the Democratic leadership were able to work together on some areas of common interest. Now, there's a lot of places where they disagree, and a lot more uh, difference in the ideology between Governor Christie and Steve Sweeney than Steve Sweeney and Governor Murphy. But they were able to come together on issues where they agreed because there was a trust level. There are issues that the leadership in the legislature and the governor agree on where they can't get forward. For example, legalization of marijuana, all three profess they want to do that. I don't think New Jersey is as far left as San Francisco or Seattle, so I think there's pushback from Democrats in that area. But they profess to agree on it, yet they've been unable to do it for two years. I think that's because there's not a trust level of how to move forward. By the way, I should disclose that Mercury is one of the many underwriters of our work in public policy programming and at the Caucus Educational Corporation. Let me try this one. You and I have had this conversation offline as well as on the air to some extent. And you and your good friend Julie Roginski write a regular weekly column in... The Star-Ledger. And NJ.com. Yep. One of the themes that you and Julie, who's been with us many times, check out our previous program. She's terrific. You talk about tone and tenor. You talk about the fact that friends, family... I don't know about your family, Mike, but in my family, we're taping this around the holidays. We will not talk politics... We try not to bring Trump up because people have very different views on it. Yep. And I've had longtime friends who I can't talk to because we can't respectfully disagree. Is it just my family? Just my friends? I think the tone and tenor of politics is, is nasty these days. And, and it starts in Washington. It, it's, it's very nasty in Washington. And it is, it's become too personal. And it really shouldn't be. And, and we just talked about Governor Murphy. I have a great deal of respect for Governor Murphy, the fact that he, if he wanted to, could retire and go live a very wonderful, easy life. But he's decided to put his, uh, put his money on the line, put his, his own personality on the line, put his family in, in, the, in the political So why does he have to be demonized? Sorry for interrupting, Mike. We're listening. If you're listening on the Audio Side podcast, Mike Duhame is a Republican strategist, partner at Mercury. Question, so why is it that someone disagrees with Murphy on tax policy or whatever it is, or, or Ocasio-Cortez or Bernie Sanders, whoever, those who are on the left, yeah. why do they have to be demonized well, if they're somehow less than American? I don't think they have to be. But and you I think don't. Well, I, yes, I, I do not. Many I do. Not. Many do. I, and I think we just the president. We just have to try to, I think all of us in our own way, try to have to conduct ourselves in a way that hopefully leads by example in a way that does that. Like I said, I have, I have great respect for the governor and the legislative leaders and their willingness to do things. I think people who are willing to put themselves out, even if I disagree with their policies, I respect them for their willingness to engage, for their desire to make the country or the state a better place. And I think we just have to do the best we can to lead by example. It's a contact sport. It's tough. It doesn't mean we don't say mean and nasty things to each other. But, but we tear each other down? Destroy their reputations? I, uh, well, I, I try not, I try not, not to do you. that. That's not you. I vote. What they, you can still is be that successful. hard for you to be in a party? By the way, Democrats yeah. as well. Yeah. Is it hard for you to be in a party where the president, the leader of the party, let's just say engages a fair amount in this? Yes. I, I, I don't agree with some of the rhetoric. I don't, I don't agree with the demonization of, of individuals or obviously certain classes of people that the president does that. And I think we have to stand up and say that he's wrong uh, when he does that. And I've been unafraid to do that. By the way, check out, uh, to tell folks when they can find the Mike Duhame, Julie Roginski piece. It's every Friday, printed in the Star-Ledger, and usually goes online Friday or Saturday. You enjoy doing that? I love it. It's great fun. And by the way, Mike and Julie don't agree on much, no, <laughs> but they're always don't. civil, respectful, and take the other person's point of view and try to beat it on the merits. And uh, Mike, I thank you for joining us. Thanks, and Steve. Having, as always, a civil conversation. Appreciate it. Right Thanks there. for having me, Steve. This is State of Affairs. We're coming to you from the NJTV studio here in Newark, New Jersey. 
Catch you next time. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by Holy Name Medical Center, New Jersey Resources, NJIT, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, the New Jersey Education Association, International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, and by Community Food Bank of New Jersey. Promotional support provided by Insider NJ and by NJ Advance Media. When it comes to you and your family's health care, transparency is key. At Holy Name Medical Center, we believe in creating an environment where patients can be educated and informed so they can get the most out of their health care. As New Jersey's health care industry continues to evolve and change, Holy Name remains committed to providing patients with high quality, accessible, and affordable health care.